You're listening to How I Sell, a podcast built for early career sales professionals. You'll hear stories, best practices, and guidance from top sales leaders on what it takes to become a sales superstar. Today's episode is made possible by Ramped Careers. Ramped is on a mission to build the next generation of workforce-ready talent. Joining us today is Matthew Tote. Matthew has held senior sales roles, uh, including being the VP of sales at the Neat Company. Uh, Thank you, Matthew, for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Hey, Matthew, I know that you and I had uh, the chance to connect a little bit uh, before before I hit the record button here. But for those that don't know who you are, who is Matthew Tote? Yeah, so great question. A little background on myself. You know, I didn't I didn't get my my start in sales uh, like most people typically with a, a big SaaS company or you know a Silicon Valley stamp or you know even a big Fortune 500 company. It actually all started back in a classroom. I was a teacher's aide in a behavioral and a learning disabilities class, and you know, and growing up. Um, but my mom and stepdad were both teachers. So everybody's just like, yep, you're, you're good at this. You're just going to go ahead and, and become a teacher for the rest of your life. And I'm like, I'm like, hell no, I can't, I can't deal with these kids. I don't know how the teachers do it. All respect to them. But yeah, that is not my future. And, you know, as I was, as I was doing the, the, the classroom gig, uh, I was also interested in technology. So I was getting Microsoft certifications. I was moonlighting at night in the number one golf course in the world, uh, in the clubhouse serving wine to customers and guests. And, and that combination of technology mm-hmm. and customer service helped me to land my job at NEAT. And through NEAT, that customer service, that technology started coming out and I gravitated really towards the sales angle. So the sales teams leading, you know, just talking to customers and bringing them on to new technology uh, was really where I gravitated. So it wasn't, you know, hey, I wanted to be a salesperson growing up my entire life. I actually wanted to, to, to own some restaurants and, and, and run that kind of uh, uh, you know, an empire, but, uh, you know, just kind of how life goes and through being a teacher's aide, really learning how to communicate and teach people uh, different topics, the technology piece and the customer service piece, it all kind of culminated into uh, me starting in the sales world. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up. And I think that that's what folks, a lot of people have in common um, when they think about their professional development, right? We all make the best decision that we can with the information that we have at any given point and whatever encumbrances we have in life, right? And so uh, I think folks try to architect their careers that closely, but at the end of the day, it all makes sense when you look backwards and not necessarily forward. But I, but I do want to ask you this question. And, you know, I, I, I've listened to a few of your other podcasts and you had mentioned that early on you wanted to be a, a financial advisor, uh, but then it, was a, it turned out to be a special ed uh, teacher's aide and then you ended up being a, a tech support rep and, and, yeah. <laughs> and then being a, a, a individual contributor, uh, a sales rep, all the way to managing multi-million dollar P&L as a sales leader. What's one thing that ties everything together now that you have the benefit of hindsight? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the one thing that ties everything together is, is sales is really a profession that it doesn't matter your background or where you come from, right? As long as you are able to self-educate, and you're always looking to learn more. You're always looking to learn about the industry. 
you can be very successful. And I'm proof of that, right? I, I you know, I went to, went to college to, to be a finance uh, major and, and be a stockbroker, a financial advisor, live that kind of life. I even had an internship at Merrill Lynch and didn't finish, right? Didn't finish that until later on in, in life, but turned that around, became a teacher's aide and, and really, you know, the rest of the story, as I just mentioned earlier. So although I wanted to be a hundred different things, and I find that to be a background of a lot of successful salespeople, mm-hmm. nobody grows up, right? It's it, in most universities don't have, hey, I have a, I'm going to be a salesperson. I have a sales degree, right? It's you, marketing or finance or accounting or something in the business school, or it could be something in communications, or it could be something completely different. How many tech-led founders are there out there that were developers that really turned into sales? So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that one, that one key takeaway is it really doesn't matter what your background is. As long as you want to be successful in sales, you really can be. Do you, do you think that there should be uh, a university track that's geared towards sales? Oh, I would, I would absolutely love it. I've actually, you know, met a few people that are professors in, in some schools around the country that have a sales course, but there's mm-hmm. no sales major. And there's so many great schools that are doing these types of things for people that are transitioning, um, you know, from, from one career to another, but it's not an official like university degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I would love to see that that come really to the United States in, in the form of a recognized university or college making it a major. Why do you think, uh, why do you think that, that that's the case today? It, you know, the, the reason I ask is everybody knows that when you're at a business, there's one of three things you can do. You either build product or service yep. or you sell product or service. And some people will go as far as saying that, the whole building function exists insofar as it can support the selling function, right? And placing an enhanced emphasis on sales. And then you have all the back office operations, right? Uh, folks that just manage the daily you know, functioning of any business. If that's the viewpoint, um, I, I wonder where that disconnect is. Do you think that it's, it's um, the onus is on the sales leaders of today to engage in some way or form with the university system? Like what should be the feedback loop here? I think it's one of the broadest possible subjects, right? So it's hard to write a curriculum around it. It's hard to say, well, I now have a BS in sales, mm-hmm. right? Because what type of, there's enterprise sales, there's mid-market, there's transactional, there's B2B, there's B2C, there's owning a small business yourself and selling there's you know, within a large business, there's so many different avenues to it that I think that not only would you be able to, you know, have a degree, but there would be multiple types of degrees. So getting people around the idea of this to start would be one thing, but two, if you notice right out there, there's so many sales books, there's so many ways to do it. What would be the way? Mm-hmm. Right. Do you come out as a formal, you know, Sandler or Gap selling or, you know, uh, Hyman Miller? Do you come out as a, a, a classically trained salesperson? Do you come out with just the foundations and the basics of, mm-hmm. you know, introduction, rapport building and discovery and, and uh, presentation skills and so on? Or, you know, what is it that you would actually learn? And that's what I think is the one domino that hasn't fallen. There's no one way of doing it. Um, people do it on their own. They're very successful salespeople. They just wing it. I don't recommend that, but there are people that just absolutely wing it and are highly successful. So I think that's the bigger problem. There's no one to point to, you know, there's great engineers out there. Hey, you built that great. Teach other people how to build that. Mm -hmm. But to go back and really create a curriculum around 
these certain things, I think it would be very, very tough to do for an entire major. I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, and I think that more people should, because there's this notion that, um, that there is a certain personality that's, that's built for sales, or there's this notion that there is, you know, a, a certain magic sales model that if you follow, you'll just go from zero to hundred um, in no time. And I think people are very vocal about it. Folks oftentimes mistake what has worked for them as the only methodology. And I know that you've spoken on this topic. So two questions for you. I'd love to hear what's worked for you, um, you know, personally. And I'd love to hear a little more about your general thoughts on this, you know, I guess misleading perspective that there's one type of personality that is going to be a great fit for sales. And quite honestly, I think if there's anything that's causing issues around diversity, it's, it's that thinking uh, more than anything else. Uh, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, so I'll start with the second question right around around the the, the one personality. So I, I don't think it is what everybody thinks of in their head as a salesperson, right? Your movies are coming into place, right? Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you're thinking of Boiler Room, you're thinking of Wolf of Wall Street, and that's not always it. My most successful teams I've either been a part of or, uh, or I've hired and, and led myself have been wildly diverse um, in, in background, in age, and in, in every possible thing that you can think of because extroverts, introverts, people that are, are, are uh, you know, that learn auditory and learn verbally and learn, you know, f through looking visually and, and so on. It's all different. They all bring their own types and their own special characteristics to sales. And that's really what sales is. If you try to model yourself or just rubber stamp sales agents, it's never going to work. It's not going to work in any form or fashion. The idea is that if you can bring your own background, you can bring your own personality to a process, you'll be highly successful. People can see through the BS so quickly if you're trying to be somebody else, if you're trying to be something that you're not. So, you know, definitely all personality types can fit into sales, mm -hmm. not the other way around, right? Mm -hmm. It's not you're trying to fit into that sales personality. So, and that should come out in hiring, that could, should come out in job descriptions, that should come out in training. And that is all levels, right? That is everything from a hunter, a BDR, an SDR, all the way up to management and leadership. And I think that all starts in the job description, right? I used one of those words, hunter. That mm -hmm. is a very key word in a job description that somebody who's putting that in there is looking for a very specific type of person. Mm -hmm. Now that's okay if you think you, you're going to rubber stamp and you're going to have that specific type of person in there. But really you need all of these different viewpoints in order to really do, because you're selling mm -hmm. to all different personalities and characteristics the, you know, that, that alpha person that's just going to come over and bolo into the sale. Like that's great for a certain subset of customers or prospects that you're looking at, but it's going to offend or put off others. And, and you need all those different personality types for one, well, for multiple reasons, but for one very specific reason that you're selling to multiple personality types. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to dig into this job spec um, comment of yours a little bit, because yeah. I don't think it's mentioned often. Um, people think of job specs as this necessary step in the hiring process, or they take too much of a theoretical approach towards it. Uh, but I think there's something to what you've mentioned. And I don't know if people put in enough time and effort into it, because it, it does signify the, the position or the stance that you're taking. And quite honestly, I think it might give a prospective candidate a view into 
what the sales training and the sales culture in that business may look like. I don't think that a lot of early career professionals are trained to read into job specs, but they should. Um, what's, I mean, have you experimented? I'm assuming you've experimented with job specs. Uh, how do you write your job specs? Because it's, you know, having built a team, uh, a large team at the Neat Company, I bet you it's impossible to find a hundred people that are all of the same mold, right? You can't build a company that way. You need all kinds of people. So what, what, what techniques have you employed uh, when, you, when you put out these job specs? Yeah, so just like every hiring manager, you go to Google, right? And you type in uh, a, a account executive job description and you just copy and paste it and throw it back up on your website. No, but seriously, you, you, know, you need to go through and you need to look at the things that are very important to you, right? So as a hiring manager, as a sales leader, I look at things that are very important to me as far as, are you going to self-educate? Mm-hmm. Are you going to take some of the topics that we discuss in coaching, that we discuss in team meetings, and are you able or willing to go out and actually improve yourself on those skills, mm-hmm. right? Are you going to come back in and, and throughout the week work on those things, or are you just going to go into coaching and say, okay, great, thanks for that information, go back to old habits and, and never improve? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that's not a hunter, right? That's not, that's not any like th- those words that come up. That's not that, right? Mm-hmm. If I can get you excited about the role, then yeah, the activity levels will be there. You'll want to do that stuff, right? You'll want to make communication. You'll want to pick up the phone or, or outreach on LinkedIn or whatever the, the cadence and the, and the, the sequences are, mm-hmm. but you need to write a job description to find the person that's going to be excited about doing the job. And mm-hmm. so you're writing things in the job descriptions, um, you know, that are you coming with a passion, mm-hmm. right? It's not gonna be a passion for sales. I'm passionate about sales. 98% of the people out there are not passionate for sales. There's no way I'm gonna make you passionate about sales. But if you do have a passion, you're passionate about something, mm-hmm. I can draw the way that you work on your passion out and just say, yeah, do that same thing for this and you'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you write job descriptions looking for the individual, the type that you want, not necessarily, you know, ready to make a hundred dials a day and ready to do these specific things because that's forcing somebody into that. People are going to look at that job description and go, okay, <laughs> right. I'm, you're not hiring like if a hundred dials a day, are they going to do that for the next eight years for your company? No. Right. So I'm looking for somebody that can, that can learn, that can grow, that's interested in not only doing the job I'm hiring for, but be so successful in all areas, not just in that job role, but being a, a leader without actually holding the title and so on that can grow within the organization. That's going to save me so much time in hiring and training and, and mentor and everything else that goes along with it. I'm not just hiring a robot to sit there and dial a hundred times a day. Mm-hmm. Right. That may be part of the activities that go on and yeah. that's part of the job description, but I'm not necessarily hiring directly for that. If that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I chuckle because uh, I'm just having these vivid memories of reading these job specs that all focus on Hunter relentless, hundred calls a day activity metrics. Um, and also, you know, with, with, you know, at the AE level, to your point, you may already have some demonstrated history of work experience, right? But if you're hiring for SDRs, BDRs, typically these are people that haven't done this before. Right. And yet I see the same J- job descriptions that don't really, you know, kind of peel the, the layers of the onion and look for underlying characteristics. Mm-hmm. I think the worst offenders are where I, I see folks wanting SDRs and BDRs that have beat quota at their existing company. And uh, they're looking to, 
for for these people to come back and kind of join their new business from the ground up. And my challenge to folks have always been, if I'm crushing it at my existing company and I'm beating quota and I'm doing a great job, why on earth will I leave it and join you? Like there's something like have you sat down? Maybe an SDR. Like I want to move up, right? right? I, I if I'm crushing it, I want to move to the next level. And that's it. There was a great point that you brought up of, you know, having that background and, and things that you look for, right? So people in hospitality industries, waiters, mm -hmm. bartenders, th mm -hmm. things like that, people who are just comfortable having a conversation, because in the end, sales is a conversation. It's a more directed process driven conversation. But in the end, it's a it's a conversation. Yeah. Another thing I've looked for, and this is where that passion kind of comes in that I mentioned, I find great success in salespeople. And I, I didn't know this to begin with. It was just over time of hiring. There were some common themes, highly artistic, right? If they played music, if they could draw, if they were, if they could paint, if they had that creativity and, and sort of art background, mm -hmm. they were highly successful. And, and I didn't know that all of a sudden, like I'd see somebody doodling. I'm like, my God, that's incredible. What? Oh, I love to, I love to art. I love to paint. I love to draw or, yeah. or yeah, I play music or I'm a DJ or what have you. Like having that creativity in the background has shown to be very, a very successful leading indicator of being successful in sales. And I started thinking and putting together over time of why that may be. I myself played music. I love mm -hmm. creating music. I don't get the time to do it too much anymore, but I, I, I love to do it. And I, so I, Okay. Well, I look at a sales process like a GPS, right? It's a map from point A to point B. That's great. But not everything, not every process, not every customer or prospect is going to just follow that straight line. Mm -hmm. So there's detours, there's traffic, there's you want to stop off and have lunch at a nice little town. That's great. That's where that creativity, that artistic or music ability comes in to mm -hmm. be able to impromptu read the room, read the call, read the prospect and get a little creative with the process, with the script and so on, where mm -hmm. somebody a little bit more rigid uh, that's always following, right? I, I, I look at it as cooking versus baking, right? Baking, yeah. you follow the recipe. If you don't put baking soda in, forget it, the whole thing's done, right? But cooking, you could add a little dash of this, a little splash of that, you know, and, and, and be a little bit more creative with it. And it's not going, it'll enhance, it won't necessarily ruin. And so I look at those types of things when I'm hiring, especially for roles that don't require previous experience, yeah. right? It's no experience needed or one or two or three years, mm -hmm. whether you be quota, whether you didn't be quota, if you're one or two years into it, like maybe you just weren't a fit for that company. That company didn't have great training or a great product or market fit or what have you. Like, I'm not going to blame you for not hitting quota if you're only a year or two into the job. So yeah. if you have that passion, if you have that potential that we could coach and learn and train, I'd rather start from scratch yeah. and try to break old habits first and before getting in. Man, I, I, I wish that your voice was amplified 100x. And I, <laughs> and I say that, and I say that because there's just too much crap out there, Matthew. And I, and I think people, even well-intentioned people oftentimes mistake their individual experiences as broad reflections of marketplace realities. And I see this especially with yeah. early stage, fast-growing companies. Statistically speaking, if you just look at the data, roughly 95 out of these hundred companies fail. Some of it may be execution driven, but most of it is because there was just no product market fit and you can't tax or burden the SDRs and, and, and pin the success or failure of the business on them. It's not their fault. They have no idea. So that's one issue. Um, and, uh, and, and the second point is folks, you know, to, to some extent think that there's like, you know, one linear path to sales success. And I, I almost wonder 
Is it perhaps that your own background was a little bit nonlinear, that you're uh, a tad bit more understanding of, of different paths to success because you've, you've seen it yourself? And, and, and you know, I'm hoping that you're, you're, you've hired and nurtured other sales leaders, um, either mid-career or in the future, that share your perspective because I think that's what will lead to a virtuous cycle. Yeah, no, no, I, I definitely agree. And and I have just an example, one of my best AEs. I, it, so at NEAT, we sold to very, very small businesses and home services was a big vertical roofer, side electricians, plumbers, and so on. And the one of my best AEs, if not my best AE, actually took a break from previous sales career and helped his dad to run a drywall business. Mm. Like, so he is the customer that we're selling to. Mm-hmm. Most other sales organizations be like, ah, no, nah, they either couldn't hack it as a salesperson or whatever. No, the person's awesome. And they know the industry. They know the types of people that they're selling to. That's a no brainer. But when you're looking at a resume, you're like, wait a minute, the last two, three years, when all of this technology boom and all of the sales stuff that we're hearing about all from the last two, three years are really coming into play, you were on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but doing the exact same thing that we're selling to, right? So it made complete sense and took a chance and was, I wouldn't even say the words took a chance, right? Purposely made that hire and it was one of the best ever. So, you know, it, you don't have to have that conventional linear path, right? Starting from prospecting and going to closing and then being a lead and being a manager. And some people do, and that's great. If you look at my resume, that is that way title-wise, but definitely not responsibility-wise. It was all over the board. Mm-hmm. Going back to what you were talking about early founders, right? I think, one, a lot of their quotas and their goals are investor-driven. And that's an entirely different podcast. And, and that, that's a whole hour conversation on its own. But I think, right, you're looking at, does this rep pick quota? Do they, well, those quotas are just given to them, mm-hmm. regardless if they're attainable or not, regardless if they actually work from the bottom up, if there's enough hours in the day to make that many activities in order to, and that many outreaches with, with a product that may or may not fit into the market to mm-hmm. even hit that quota just because, hey, that's where the next uh, funding round is coming from if we hit these goals. So you have to be careful and look at those types of things when you're, when you're looking at somebody's background to hire, especially early on when they don't have a five or 10 or 15 year history to go on. You can mm-hmm. see sort of the success there with that longer tenure. Mm-hmm. No, I think you've, you've, hit, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, and, and it's so true. And I see this happening over and over again. It doesn't seem to stop. And I cannot tell you the number of you know, reps that, that, that feel so bad about themselves, right? This is the first job that they're taking out of college. And I'm a big fan of achievement motivation. I think success breeds later success. And yeah. it absolutely sucks if you have a, a sales leader who, who puts failure on you, gives you a quota that you can't hit in any meaningful way and then you get fired or you just quit. And then you might even quit sales and say, crap, this is not for me. Uh, and I, I think it's the responsibility of the sales leaders. And it, it truly is to challenge the founders uh, and not just take a quota at face value, but to do that bottoms up analysis and have a very pragmatic view of what's achievable and what's not. That's the only way. That is the only way. You know, talking about success, let's, let's, let's talk about personal success. Um, you've had a history of success, man. I've, I've, from, from what I see, you know, graduated with a near-perfect GPA in finance, which is not easy. Number one sales rep, individual contributor. You generated $5 million uh, worth of business for 
for the need company. And, and then you've gone on to sales leadership. One of the things that you mentioned was that you were always naturally curious, right? And you put a huge emphasis on continuous improvement and training. And I don't know how much of it was in kind of the nature versus nurture debate, right? Was it inherently something you felt like doing or were you shaped to do it? You know, kind of secondary question, but other than that, what else did you do right? What's, you know, kind of break down the DNA of, of yourself? Yeah, so, and it wasn't always like this, right? It was not, uh, what I'm going to tell you, it wasn't like, I just grew up knowing this stuff and just, you know, it was all through failure, right? So one, one of my mottos is I like to learn something new every day. Mm -hmm. um, being a parent, I learned something new every day, probably multiple things and things that I may not have even wanted to learn. But before, right, kind of growing up in this sales world, I'll use that, right? Making sure that I never settled. So always be testing is a mantra, right? I allow my sales reps and especially my VDRs, especially new ones, Here's the script. Let's follow this for a little bit. Start making it your own. Start writing your own. Even if you write your own and it's very similar or the same to the one that you were using, that's great, but it gets you into that mindset, right? I always want you to be testing new words. Let's switch this out. A, B testing, but track it, right? Mm -hmm. So I've done the testing before and didn't track it. And when somebody says, what's the result? It was just trust me. So learning, making that mistake and learn. So always test and always track. So you're always learning something new, how to improve by just little tiny bits. And there's so many influencers and people out there that are always like, well, if you could just adjust it by a half a percent or a percent over time, it's mm -hmm. going to, you, you know, at the bottom line, each part of the funnel gets a, a half a percent, a percent or 2% better. At the end of the quarter of the year, uh, you know, a five-year stint, you're going to be massively further ahead than you ever were before. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is I got thrown into sales leadership. I was an individual contributor and due to a layoff because of a pivot, all of a sudden, all of the levels and layers in between myself and sort of uh, the CMO at the time were gone. And they just said, hey, you run this whole sales department and call center and the external call centers. Good luck. We're all busy. We went from here down to here just because of a pivot and sort of a reorg. Great. Right. Um, and so I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I said, oh, I was a successful individual contributor. Let me make rubber stamps of my team and train them to be that way. That didn't work. Mm. Uh, the way I thought was, hey, you always need to be in the office. I was an office person. I enjoyed coming to the office, could be very focused, very compartment. That didn't work for anyone. I lost some very good salespeople because I forced them to come in the office instead of being a little more lenient and allowing them to work from home and kind of adjust to the things that were changing. So I learned these steps over the course of time, right? Things for new managers, you know, what worked for you won't work as an individual contributor, what worked for you won't work as a manager uh, to become a good manager. Your way is not the highway, right? It's your way is part, learn what everybody else's way are and make a process that works for everybody together. Mm -hmm. So what makes, you know, my DNA is always testing, but make sure you're tracking, always learning something new. Um, I, I spend a lot of my free time learning about sales, right? There's so many sales communities out there, right? Whether it's Rev Genius, Revenue Collective, the Thursday Night Sales, there's sales books out there. There's so many podcasts, just like we're talking about today, that you gotta, you, you know, you, you gotta listen, you gotta read, you gotta learn these things, but just take one or two action items mm -hmm. and put them into play, right? Test them out. 
before you just collect all of this information and now you have all of this stuff and how can you use it? You can't, right? Just take one or two things as a takeaway from one or two things that you listen to or one or two communities that you join and put them into practice. So my DNA is made up of learn something new every day, always be testing, but make sure you're tracking. Mm -hmm. That's what's gotten me successful because throughout my career, I've always been a part of pivots, right? I've run a sales team, um, you know, up to 36, 38 inside sales reps, two external call centers, hundred reps apiece, doing coaching and the one-on-one and the growing and the mentoring and the developing. And the next day I got tapped to run our retail channel where I'm worried about a uh, labor shortage or a labor strike on the San Francisco docks. Can't get my product in so I can put it onto retail shelves for a back to school sale, right? So two wildly different things. If I wasn't always educating, learning, being willing to take that extra time to do that, I wouldn't have been successful. And then pivoting back when we got out of the hardware market and, and made our software up into the cloud and made it SaaS and current revenue, start building out channel programs. I didn't know anything about channel programs, but why? I learned, I listened, I found people that were successful and, and, and watched what they were doing and, and shadowed them and repeated what they were doing until I could test enough that I figured it out on my own and started building my own processes from. So I think, and it goes back to when we first started, right? And first started this conversation, that background, it doesn't matter what background you come from. If you're willing to invest in your education, you're willing to learn, you can be successful in sales. Thanks for sharing that, Matt. And I think more people should. Uh, it takes a lot of maturity to, to admit that, you know, there, there are some failures behind the success that you've seen, one. And second is that none of this came naturally to you. And so, most of it had is, is largely a function of you taking the time and effort to learning um, and putting yourself in very uncomfortable positions. And if that doesn't, I guess, give folks a uh, general perspective that you can level the playing field for yourself and that there's really no one type or one personality to break into sales and have a, a great career. I don't know what does. So thank you so much for, uh, for sharing that. And one last question for you, uh, and, I, and I love asking our guests this question is, you know, you've, you've developed a, a rather rich perspective from the years of experience. And if you could kind of go back in time and meet a younger version of yourself and could only share one piece of advice, what would that be? Yeah, so it's, it's actually, funny enough, a piece of advice that I mentor and uh, business students at a local uh, university because, as we mentioned, there's, not, there's no sales major. Um, and the one thing I tell them, and this is the one thing I would tell myself, is that nobody has the answers. Nobody knows for sure what they're doing. Nobody. But the more experience you have, the more mistakes you have, the more, more you learn from those mistakes, my next guess on what I'm going to do just comes from a lot of experience. So chances are I'll be more correct than somebody just starting out. But don't be afraid, right? When you're starting out, don't be afraid to get a hypothesis, test that hypothesis and put it into action. Because just if it's your first day, your first week, your first year, you have something to contribute. You can be successful. You don't have to wait five years, 10 years, 20 years to be successful. We see that with entrepreneurship. We see that with so many young, bright people coming up in the industry, in sales, in tech, in development, and everything else. You know, you don't. Don't be afraid to come up with your own hypothesis, test it, and put it into action. 
This is uh, this is so cool, Matthew. Thank you so much for taking the time today, and I am positive that you will have a phenomenal career ahead of you. And I will bet on your next uh, next guest, my friend. This is uh, this has been amazing. Again, really appreciate your time, and I am positive that our audience will learn a lot from uh, from this discussion today. Appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me.